If you're turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, we have to remember that God's Word is sharp and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts even to the very bone and marrow, and it is to be used to make even us as a spiritual sacrifice before Him as we hear His Word and giving authority to the Word of the Lord and, and to our God who has given us His Word. Let's stand as we look at Luke 10 starting at verse 38. Hear the word of the Lord, Luke 10, 38. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Let's pray together. Our glorious Lord, thank you for this, your word. Work in us mightily that we would receive and believe and even take that better portion that essential, necessary portion that you have given us, that we would receive and believe in Jesus Christ our Lord, that we would sit at his feet and learn from the word that you have given us, even your holy scriptures. Help us, for we ask these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. For years, my dad has been giving me a subscription to Consumer Reports. And I remember one of the rating systems sometimes was good, better, and best. You know, there's, in this particular text, there was a good thing to do, but there was a, the best thing to do in today's text. And we'll see how that comes forth in the lives of both Mary and Martha. Um, Earlier in chapter 9, if you remember back, Jesus was traveling. Um, He was on his way to go to Jerusalem. Some, uh, I didn't mention this before, but I think some translations mentions like he set his face like flint. He He was determined to go to Jerusalem. Why? Because there he would die and suffer as a sacrifice for sinners. There he would be... Uh, betrayed, given into the hands of Gentiles to then be executed on a cross, but according to God's sovereign plan for the salvation of sinners such as us. So in chapter 9, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He meets, uh, well, he tells his disciples to go into a town of the Samaritans to go make preparations for them, yet they reject Jesus and the disciples. Why? Because the Samaritans saw Mount Gerizim as the most holy place and they weren't very happy that if, if he was the, 
the the promised Messiah, they went they weren't happy that he was going to Jerusalem. Shouldn't he be staying at our holy place, Mount Gerizim? And um, the story goes that then James and John, um, the zealous sons of Zebedee, want to call down fire from heaven and destroy the, the little village of the Samaritans because they refused hospitality. Um, but Jesus says, um, you know, you don't know what kind of spirit you are of. This is not the spirit of, of a godly person. And he says that he did not come, the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So then they're traveling along, and this, a lot has happened since chapter 9, but then we find out they're needing a place to stay, and they're giving a welcoming into the home of Martha. It says in verse 38, they were traveling along on their way to Jerusalem, and he, um, along with the disciples, entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Verse 38. Now, we can make a conclusion that maybe Martha and Mary are living together, or maybe Martha passed word to her sister and saying, guess who came to my house? Jesus! And then, she, and then we invited her sister to come over and uh, to see Jesus and the disciples. As we look at today's text, the main focus is that God wants you to seek what is necessary for your salvation. The main focus of today's text is that God wants you to seek what is necessary for your salvation. And we'll see this in two main points. Two expressions of love. Two expressions of love. And secondly, seek what is necessary. So let's look first at these two expressions of love. In this passage, these two women are both seeking to show love in different ways. Look at verses 39 through 40. She, that is Martha, had a sister uh, called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving? Then tell her to help me. And before we go further, I want you to imagine and put yourself in Martha's shoes just for a minute. I truly, sincerely believe Martha sought to show forth love in serving and offering what we call hospitality. The word in Greek for hospitality literally means love for a stranger. In Deuteronomy 10:19, the Jews were commanded this, Love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Now, in that particular, that's the New King James translation. In our uh, translation, it mentions the word alien. So the, the Greek word for stranger can also be translated alien or sojourner. Now, they were to love the stranger in their midst because they were strangers in a strange land, in a foreign land, in, in Egypt. And God loved them and delivered them from that land. Therefore, they ought to love the stranger as well. Now, you might say to yourself, well, we're, we're Christians. We, don't, we weren't delivered from slavery in Egypt. Well, we were delivered from a worse slavery, slavery to sin and bondage to the evil one and delivered into the kingdom of his marvelous, God's marvelous light. 
So on that basis, we know what it's like to be estranged from God, and we are the same way or to, to show love to strangers. But this, this practice of showing a love for strangers was a very rich and important part of Jewish culture. And I believe, I sincerely believe Martha was seeking to carry out that command in Holy Scripture to love those strangers, Jesus and his disciples, that were in their midst. But Martha was likely compelled to do otherwise. She wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus because she delighted to hear him speak. And how can we maybe assume that she liked to hear him speak? Because when Jesus spoke, and it's mentioned this earlier in, in Luke 4, people were amazed at his teaching because his message was one with authority. And if you analyze the preaching of Jesus, his message was one that didn't just say, well, Rabbi so-and-so says, or this scholar says, this scribe says, this lawyer says, citing other people. He taught in a way that had authority, but also used vivid illustrations to make his teaching interesting. So in Luke 4, 32, people were amazed at his teaching, and I believe here Mary likewise was amazed at his teaching. So her love, no doubt, was to hear about God and his kingdom, and she wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus and, and to know that. And she, no doubt, we don't know what was taught, but I am sure Jesus taught something of the gospel, of the way of forgiveness that was coming. And we don't know exactly, but she chose to sit at the feet of Jesus and to listen to the very words of Jesus. It was a great longing of her soul that she was seeking to fill and that, that teaching and preaching of Jesus compelled her to listen. We really should pray to be like Mary, to long to hear the Word of God, especially to sit and to hear the Word of God as it is preached. On the other hand, rather than listening much, if at all, it says here, Martha was distracted with all her preparations in verse 40. Think about what would have happened if Jesus had not intervened and stopped Martha where she was. Because I do think after the words of Jesus, she later maybe set things down and sat at the feet of Jesus. But if Jesus had not intervened and someone had asked her and said, I heard that Jesus and the disciples were at, your, at Martha's house, at your house. I heard that Jesus and the disciples were at your house. What did he say? What did he teach on? She probably wouldn't have a clue because her whole time was consumed in preparations. Jesus was one who amazed people with his teaching, but she had no idea what his teaching was like because she was too busy to listen or pay attention. She was distracted, too distracted to hear. And brothers and sisters, we live in a world, no doubt, of distraction. If you know Martha being distracted, perhaps you can relate. Um, I, I do work on my computer, and sometimes you have a little tab here, and it, it's uh, news. Google has it. Microsoft has it. And if you want to get anything done in your computer, don't press that tab. 
Because, man, you will be on there looking at all kind of news, and then next thing you know, you get an advertisement, then you start looking at the advertisement, and then you start going elsewhere. Um, and then for some of us, we, we might be trying to get work done on a computer, and then you say, well, I, I just want to check my Facebook feed just to see what's going on. Oh, then you see some, uh, somebody you hadn't seen for years on Facebook, and you want to check up on what's going on in their life, and the next thing you know, two hours have passed, and you haven't gotten your work done. We have cell phones, computer tablets, computer games, computer apps. Some of us are distracted by sports, entertainment, movies, TV shows, friends, careers, hobbies. Sometimes it's necessary distractions, things that distract us from the Word of God, such as a necessary work that has to be done. Some of us are even dangerously distracted in our driving. But in and of itself, many of these things are not necessarily sin. Many of these distractions are not outwardly sinful. Serving others like what Martha was doing was not a sinful practice. It was a commendable practice. I would even say it was a godly practice according to Deuteronomy 10, 19. But she was too distracted to receive what was best, which is to sit at the feet of Jesus. She had the incarnate, eternal Son of God in her home. I'm sure she didn't realize that at that point. But she had the eternal Son of God in her home, and she was doing other things and listening to Him. That puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Now, I've been where Martha was. I, I don't know if you know this, but I love cooking for people. I, I think I loved it more but when on, but I really don't, I'm, I want to start doing it more on Sunday evenings because if I do it on a Sunday evening, I don't have to worry about the, the sermon in the evening. I could just, I could get myself totally exhausted and, and crash afterwards. But I, there was a time when Pastor Jack was preaching in this pulpit and I was sitting there having guests over for lunch after church and instead of paying attention to the preaching of the Word of God, I'm thinking about the salad i got to finish preparing. I'm thinking about the rice i got to cook. I'm thinking about the garlic bread. I'm thinking about, oh, i got to put this out of the fridge and put it on the stove. Well, for the one thing, I was doing way too much. I was distracted, bothered about many things rather than paying attention to the Word of God. Distractions can and do choke out the Word of God, God's Holy Word. We can even choke out the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives if we're so distracted. If you're too busy to go to church, the answer is you're too busy. If you've got too much going on on a Sunday to pay attention to the Word of God, you got too much going on on a Sunday. You need to remove those distractions so that you can focus on the things that really matter, which is the worship of the King of Heaven, your Savior, even God our Lord, the, even worshiping our triune God should necessitate removing those distractions. Now, honestly, we cannot eliminate all distractions in our lives. 
but pray for wisdom and pray for self-control that God would help you to reduce them, especially those distractions that hinder your faith and practice in the, in the Christian life. So even though Martha was on the wrong side of this problem and was not doing like her sister, she, though, she goes and asks Jesus to make Mary get up and help. Look at verse 40. She came up to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. Now the answer that Jesus gives next leads up to our next main point. Knowing her mind and her heart as the divine God, Jesus told her to seek what is necessary. Jesus tells that to us as well. It's not just for Martha, it's for us. Seek what is necessary. Look at verses 41 through 42. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. Notice Martha was of a busy and distracted nature, but Jesus analyzed her heart, knowing her heart because he's the sovereign God and he knows people's hearts, especially time and time again in the New Testament. And she, he told her that she was worried and bothered about many things. I want us to look a little bit at the sources of worry for a second. Now, some would say that worry has to do a lot with personality types. If you are, are a perfectionist, you may be more worried than other people who feel like they can get by with just having it done right, but not as a perfectionist, right? Your upbringing can be a major contributing factor if you worry. I strongly believe that parents who worry raise children who worry. Christian parents who demonstrate faith under pressure and even under trial, I believe, teach their children to have faith even under pressure and under trial. We pass those kind of things on to our children. I'll never forget this lady in South Carolina. I had a nursing uh, supervisor who was over the home health agency I worked for. And I one time went up to her and said, you always seem so cool and collective and you never really worry at all. And I said, how do you do it? And she told me, she said, my mom never really worried. She just always would pray or something in whatever. I, I can't even, I don't remember the explanation, but I remember that it, she learned from her mom to just handle things without worrying because that's the way her mom taught her. Now, some doctors would say that anxious people need medicine. Now, that might be a help for some people. But Scripture does say that worry to a large degree is sin. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This passage here is not a suggestion. This is a command. 
given by Paul through the Holy Spirit for us. Rather than worry, this text says we're to pray. Now, for some, not for all people, but for some, the sin, uh, sins regarding money can be a breaking of the first commandment. If you're always so worried that money is always the answer, that money is always what you need, and that all you think about is money, and that as long as you have enough money, you're not going to worry, then maybe God is being replaced by an idol. Money could be a breaking of the first commandment in that regard. God is to be first. God is to be number one. And you shall have no other gods before him. So it's really, you could say, breaking the first and second commandment. To worry and to never pray to God under trials is a dependence upon self rather than a dependence upon God. Jesus said the cure to worry is having a greater faith rather than a little faith. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. Keep your place in Luke, but look at Matthew 6. Matthew six twenty-five. Jesus says here, as the cure for anxiety, verse 25, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life, as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your Father, your heavenly Father, feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worrying about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you, of little faith. When he says the word Gentiles here, I think in context meaning an unbeliever, an unbeliever, not, not a Jew, but an unbeliever at the context here. But he's saying that worry, the problem of worry, is very often a little faith rather than a great measure of faith. Brothers and sisters, Jesus gave a command to Mary in verse 42. Only one thing is necessary. Actually, I meant to say uh, Jesus gave Mary a commendation. Jesus gave Mary a commendation in verse 42. But only one thing is necessary. He says, for Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. Now, you might say, well, isn't it necessary to feed people? 
Yes. But I think Martha went overboard somehow. You know, people are really more resilient than, than you think. They could have waited. They could have, everyone could have sat and heard the word that Christ was teaching. And then they could have eaten later. They could have been a little hungry. And they could have eaten later. Martha could have supplied something to eat and just laid it out and let them serve themselves. But this, I truly believe, is a case of Martha overdoing it. And some of us, I think, are tempted, like Martha, to want to overdo it. You know, if you, if you have somebody and you want to offer hospitality to somebody on a, on a Lord's Day, you can offer a sandwich in the name of Jesus. You don't have to go all out and be, do the five-course meal. Offer a pot of something in a slow cooker, something real simple, one, a one-pot meal for everybody that has all the food groups in it. Don't be tempted to be worried and bothered in your serving. God wants us to show love to others in the name of Christ, and he rather us focus not on impressing others by our home decor and by our culinary skill, but he wants us to just merely serve others, but not be doing so in a worried and bothered fashion. Jesus said in this text that hearing his word was necessary. As it was of the most utmost importance to hear his word. Being fed spiritually by salvation in Christ is the most important need for any person's existence. There's nothing more important than your eternal salvation. Don't let anything get in the way of that. Don't let fretting to make money or accumulating stuff in this life keep you from the means of grace. God's word prayer and sacraments in mark 8 36 jesus said what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and if he forfeits his soul and will not profit him jesus said mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her now the the, the greek word here for good is agathos the, the root word for it is agathos and maybe you heard the name agatha um, the word Agatha really means good in, in Greek. Uh, so the good part. But given the context of today's passage, I don't normally want to side with the NIV. But in this case, given the context of the passage, that Martha was sincerely trying to do something good, I like the NIV translation here where it says that Mary chose the better part or the best part Whereas Martha chose what was not uh, the best part. Still good, but not in comparison to hearing the word of God. Ask God to give you wisdom to desire what is best for his honor and for his glory and for your eternal life. Notice in today's text, Jesus says that your eternal life cannot be taken away. And some, under persecuting Christians, have taken away people's goods, people's homes, 
people's children, people's lives. But notice this. If you have a sincere faith with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're trusting in Him alone with a lively faith, no one can take that eternal inheritance away from you. Ever. Brothers and sisters, God wants you to seek what is necessary for your salvation. Again, we have two expressions of love. Martha sought to show love and hospitality. We should seek to do hospitality, but don't let it be something that distracts you away from the Word of God. Don't be distracted and bothered and worried like Martha, but put first what is necessary. Make whatever sacrifices you need to be able to sit and hear the preaching of God's Word and to hear it with attention. Choose the best part, the ultimate part, which is faith in Christ through God's Holy Word leading unto salvation. That can never, ever be taken away from you. Let's pray together. We thank you, our glorious Lord, that you have taught us in today's text how to choose what is truly necessary. We do pray that you would forgive us for the many ways that we've been so distracted, worried, and bothered about so many things. Help us, we pray, to trust you, to trust in your word, and to receive what is utmost and truly necessary to know you and the beloved Son that you have sent, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Work in us faith to receive your gospel, to live again, not for ourselves, but for him who died for us. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, let's stand and sing a hymn of dedication. 287, lift high the cross. Let's stand and sing 287.